I'm Debbie Godfrey, and this is the Positive Parenting Pep Talks podcast. In season two, I'm answering your questions about parenting. So feel free to go to the link in the description and leave me a voice message, and I may answer your question on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy today's pep talk. So to make sure that every day when your child at some point makes a bid for your attention, you know, mom, 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 dad, 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 that you actually stop what you're doing and see the world 100% through your child's eyes. Now, you all know, as I do, that the kids will make a bid for our attention 100 times a day. So they're going to be pulling on us constantly. And this is just asking you to one time make it a point to drop what you're doing. The other 99 times you have options, which are to do another gem. If you have time, do another gem. It's great because genuine encounter moments only take 30 seconds to three minutes and leave your children feeling loved, supported, seen, heard, understood. They make you feel better as a parent because you can see how much you've contributed to your child. And they only take 30 seconds to three minutes versus fighting with our kids for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes saying, not now, I'm busy, just a minute, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So genuine encounter moments, this is big. This is a big homework for you this week to make sure you do that. Another one of the topics from this week was taking care of yourself. Taking care of yourself, the most important topic in the entire class, and pages 1-10 and 1-11 in your workbook contain 101 way, oh, 102 ways to nurture. I think there's actually 100. Oh, no, there's 102. 102 ways to nurture yourself. And this is another important homework. So every week, especially this week, make sure that you do something four times to take care of yourself. And this, these, this area of your workbook is designed to give you ideas if you are one of those people who does not take care of yourself. Make sure, make sure you read through this to give yourself ideas because it doesn't have to cost money. If money's a challenge, then you can do other things to take care of yourself. And bubble baths are it for me. I know I talked about that in my lesson, but um, that is important. Another one of the topics is to commit to not spanking your children during this class. And if you did listen to the lessons, you'll know that I offer you my phone number, which is any time during this eight weeks that you feel like you're about to spank your children, if you're willing to pick up the phone and call me and hopefully I'll pick up my end, <laughs> most of the time I do. It's amazing. Unless I'm doing something where I can't pick up the phone, but most of the time I'll pick up my phone. I'm willing to walk you off that cliff just to help you out if that's a challenge for you. Now, not all parents come to this class as spanking parents. But some are, some do, and some really need the specific, okay, if I'm not going to spank them right now, what am I going to do instead? And so I'm available to you 24-7 during the eight weeks of this class for that purpose only. Other times you have to schedule a call with me. And that means that if you've already spanked your child, don't call me. Okay? I mean, call me and make an appointment and we can talk later about what you could have done. This is just if, um, if I can prevent that from happening, I'm happy to do it. It's a, that's one of my, my most joyous moments is to be able to walk you off that kind of a cliff. And so, uh, so make sure that you understand that I'm available for that. So don't, 
please choose not to spank your kids during this class. It undermines the rest of the lessons that you're learning here. Okay, so we have Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So, yeah, so let me know. How (laughs) is it going? What do you think about the lesson so far, and what are your questions? I think... um, it, a lot of these different points speak directly to me in, in some issues, you know, that I'm having. I have a son who's four years old. I have a daughter who is 18 months, and there have been moments that I have spanked my four-year-old, and I have noticed um, in reading this and just having some self-reflection that it's usually moments out of anger when I lose my patience because I'm not talking myself down from that than I am having these moments, you know, it just gets to a point where, and I, and then I have guilt after because I, I do realize I'm staking him out of anger and frustration. It's not really a, it's not an effective punishment. It's not an effective discipline tactic. It's only serving the purpose of getting my frustration out. And that is not what I want to do. So but that's not necessarily my question is about these. Well, okay, so yeah, let me just say I acknowledge you for the self-reflection and the understanding. I mean, that's huge. And what, why that's huge is that you're not putting that burden on your child. By taking right. responsibility for that, there's a, a vibe where you're not putting it on your child. If you were justifying what you were doing, there would still be some um, funky energy there with your child. Right, to go so it really is completely helpful to have that experience of what happens when you thank your child so you're so the, the moment who get, you're the one who gets to write my phone number down and seriously Rachel call me anytime yes. well okay. and I think um, you know just reading through some of this thing where it talks about you know you need to to identify the frustration in yourself you know, and talk yourself down from even getting to that point in the first place. That's what I'm really going to strive for in my homework is, you know, trying to keep a more even pace within myself to to be able to, but I guess, so the point is where it really gets hard for me, and usually those points where I have used thinking, which is not effective, and this is the reason, is moments where my four-year-old is becoming um, physical with my 18-month-old. But then what I'm doing, you know, so he'll hit his sister basically for whatever reason. And then I in turn end up spanking him because I feel like that's the biggest punishment at the time that I could think of. But I know that that's completely, all I'm doing is hitting him for hitting his sister. And I know that's not effective, but I can't think of a punishment or not a punishment or, or a technique that's going to relay to him how serious it is. So I think I end up spanking him because that's, you know, maybe what was done to me or that's what seems like it's going to stop it at the moment. But I, but then when I think about it later, I'm like, I'm hitting him for hitting his sister. How is that going to make sense in his own head? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's the, when I, you know, I love doing these in a live format where I'm in front of parents and I actually set up the parents as kids fighting and I go over and I, and I, I whack the, you know, I put my hand on them and then I hit my other hand like I'm hitting them and I'm like, don't hit your sister really loud. And that's when people can have that awareness that you've already had where it's like, oh my gosh, she's hitting him for hitting. How is that Mm -hmm. ever going to compute in child world, right? 
And so you've, you've already discovered that on your own, but it is a big uh, understanding to have of how that's shooting your own foot, even though it feels like it's providing discipline, the discipline it's providing is not clear and it's confusing and it, and it, and it won't work. So, so did you get a chance to listen to the series of calls that were about sibling rivalry and sibling fighting? There's a lot of I think I missed there. that. I, I, all I had was, I don't, I think I must have missed that point where there's already topics because I have, um, I read the workbook and I was reading the book book, but I didn't get to read any of the other pre-recorded calls or something. I think I missed that aspect. I'm going to have to read through my emails again. Okay. So, oh, yeah. I'll um, make sure you have that because it was lesson 11, 12, and 13. And then plus okay. I had a whole nother call that was a bonus call I did for another class on that topic. So there's a lot there because it is, it's probably the second most challenging topic that parents have is the sibling rising and sibling fighting. I think the power struggles are number one. That's the number one complaint I get from parents. And then the kids fighting is number two. And maybe it bounces back and forth. I mean, especially the class of, that I was using these recordings for, sibling rivalry is definitely the predominant issue for those parents. And so that's why I have so much information about it on there um, in terms of not just teaching the lessons, but giving a lot of really good questions from the parents that I was able to answer and walk them through. So there's a lot of a lot more information there that you can listen to to get ideas okay. and understanding in the moment. And the biggest one is to pull back in times like now where you can understand that the dethronement is what happens to that first child, which you've probably encountered that somewhere in the reading so far, where that first child has lost their place by this new baby. And that sets up an automatic rivalry from the get-go. So there's this, there's this thing that just happens where that child has been the center of the universe for, in your case, almost three years, it sounds like, and then suddenly there's this new person that's <laughs> taken over. <laughs> and so they just, um, that, that just sets up this automatic problem in a family. And so all what we're going to try to do is mitigate that loss to that first child. And it's interesting because it's not always the first child. I've, I've definitely encountered families where one of the other children seem to have experienced dethronement for some reason. And there's just so many different finance, uh, family dynamics that could cause that. So if any of, of anybody else listening, if it's not your oldest child, um, don't worry about it. It's just it's something that we could probably explain if we talked in depth for a while about, you know, what's gone on in your family. But typically it's the oldest child that's resenting the younger child. And the younger child who idolizes the older one and is always trying to follow them around and drives them crazy. And that's the dynamic that usually will erupt into the fighting part. Now, our tendency, and I'm sure your tendency because of the age difference here, is to get in and admonish the older one and protect the baby. And that's the tendency that all the lessons are designed to help you fight against, I guess, in your own judgment. So to enter these situations, realizing it takes two to fight, even though one is only a year old and one is four years old, that it takes both of them, and even little one-year-olds find their ways to annoy the older one and get the older one engaged with them. 
you know, they'll pull their hair, they'll, um, and then, and then sometimes they don't even do anything. It's just the fact that they need more, you know, more attention from us that causes it. And so there's just all these little ways that, okay, let me give you, let me give you a real example. I was, I just got back from Kentucky. My daughter had my second grandson. (laughs) So I've been experiencing this for the last month where she's, she's now has a new baby. She has a toddler, my other grandbaby, Eldon. He's two and a half. And I'm there to take care of them, to, you know, cook and clean and take care of the toddler and help out because I want to make sure that this transition goes really well with the baby. And so Eldon, the older one, is, how do I say this, he's almost experiencing it like this baby didn't happen (laughs) because there's me and there's the dad and we were able to really spend a lot of time with him. So it it didn't happen for the first three weeks this baby was born where mom had to say, not now, Eldon, I'm holding the baby, okay, that that I was there or dad was there. And, you know, and I think not everybody has that luxury, of course. Most people don't. But to me, this, because knowing this topic, it's really important to me. And I noticed myself, because even I would be, hold, let's say I was holding the baby because my daughter went to take a shower or, you know, needed to get some sleep or whatever, and Eldon would come up and want me to read him a book or, or go fix him something. And instead of saying, I can't, I'm holding the baby, which is what I observed my daughter and son-in-law saying, I said, I said, my hands are full right now or my hands are busy. I don't have hands to help you out. And I was trying to be really particular about not blaming the baby for my lack of attendance to him. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And I was trying to roll that role model for that for my daughter. I mean, she was pretty exhausted and wiped out. I wasn't going to impose all my views on her. <laughs> when she needs help, she asks me. But you know, this to me, this 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 thing is really key because of the fact that so many of the parents that I help and work with have such extreme sibling challenges, and it's that that resentment. And so the idea for me was let's. Let's see if I can communicate this in a way where I am showing him I'm busy and I can't be with him right now, but not blaming the baby for it because that's what's setting up all this resentment. Well, that baby is causing me to not get my needs met. So let's make sure that I show everybody how much I resent that and I don't like the baby by hitting him, by hurting him, by taking his toys. And so I feel like that was what I was working on while I was there. It's like how, what are ways that I can say and do things to express to this child that, that I can't be, because here's the thing that I, that I also noticed, Rachel, is my daughter, when she was just parenting just the toddler, she would tell him she was busy. You know, if he needed something or wanted something and she was doing something else, she would say, not now, Eldon, I'm, you know, I'm washing this or I'm doing that. And so we do set limits on our toddlers and there's nothing to blame. And so by putting the blame on that baby, we're, we're facilitating more resentment. And so that's what I'm, what I'm trying to explain here is, like, start watching and noticing that any time where the wording that you're using could be setting that up, you know, could be right. causing, causing that. And see, how, what would I say being busy like this if it wasn't the baby, if I was just doing something else and try to work it? say the words that way so that the baby's not getting the target. 
And and that was real I felt that was really helpful when I was there because he, he really chilled. It was it was cute because he would look over at my hands and see that my hands couldn't hold the book right now. And he'd be like, Okay <laughs> Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, yes. So yeah, so he was observing of his own accord that I mean, it was obvious it was the baby causing it, but I wasn't I wasn't characterizing it that way. That was up to him to interpret how he decided. And then his interpretation could be whatever he makes of it, which if I'm, if I'm not doing it in an in a antagonistic way or whatever, you know, he's able to just see, oh, she's busy and whatever, and not, and not get so much resentment towards the baby. So that was, that was one fun, interesting insight that I had. It's so much easier doing this as a grandparent, let me tell you. <laughs> I know. I can <laughs> Than a parent. So, um, I mean, is there any specific uh, interactions that you've had in the last couple of days that you could think of that you could tell me about, or maybe we could walk through alternatives? Well, I think you know it's definitely coming to the point now. I I, I know we've done all of those things wrong up until this point. You know, we have told him, you know, oh, we're taking care of her. Oh, her needs are coming first right now because she's smaller. You know, we, we did all of those characteristic probably things that people do to set up this problem without really realizing it. And um, so now, though, you know, now we've gotten to this point, and obviously we need to make some changes moving forward. But so my, my daughter, I can see, you know, she's a year and a half. So she's learned back those, you know, he his thing is he, he doesn't hit her all the time, but he often just yells at her just when he's frustrated or whatever. She's starting to annoy him. He'll scream in her face. So now she's doing the same thing back to him because she's learned now that behavior from him. So now they're kind of communicating by just screaming, not even saying words or pushing or anything, but just yelling. So she'll walk up to him and just scream at him too. So... I don't know how to stop this kind of downward spiral. What what word should I use to start that separation? Well, yeah, you're, you'll get a lot of ideas when you listen to the calls on this, okay. when I do the, the kids fighting. But what, what I would say right now to you is that this is great news that they're yelling and not hitting because hitting is a little okay. harder to, to redirect and intervene in. And one of the things I would probably do that just popped in my head while you were talking would be to come over. Are they usually in close proximity physically when they do this, or are they yelling like across the room? Or normally, it's a state, you know, in our family room, kind of playing and running around and stuff. And um, I almost think maybe it's just my younger daughter who can't talk yet. You know, her kind of way of you know, seeking attention probably even from him or wanting to engage him. And I think maybe I've kind of forgotten that they learn, you know, because she's nonverbal, you think she doesn't understand, but that's kind of a mistake too. So I think I just need to maybe model more that, you know, oh, you want your brother's attention, let's you know, sit next to him and try to play with something he's playing with instead of just running up to him and screaming at him or something, you know? That's a great idea. I I think I need to model more for my 18-month-old maybe even than for my 4-year-old because I kind of maybe have the 
image that she's still a baby and she doesn't understand what we're saying or something, but that's not necessarily true at this point. No, it's not true at all. <laughs> More than aware. And you're right. She's right. using what she has to get her needs met. And, and a, you know, it, it, in a way that's annoying to us, but it's very cute that she's figuring that out. So yes, I mean, that's exactly down the road of how you want to think about this. And another thing that I like to do with yelling in general, but specifically in this case, is to whisper. And so that's why I was asking if they were close together in proximity or not, because yes. if they're screaming at each other, if you could go like over and get down on screaming in each other's face. She'll walk up to him and just get right in his face and just yell, just say, ah, you know. And then right, and, and chances are. And do you, the same thing back to her. Right, and chances are you're pro- probably, you know, yelling, don't yell. It's just like and then you yell hitting. <laughs> don't yell at your sister, don't yell at your brother. Right, yeah, exactly. right. Exactly. Okay, so the alternative to that would be to get down on their level when they're screaming. And you're going to have to, again, do the little check-in with yourself, take care of yourself, take a deep right. breath, because you're going to bring peace into the screaming. And so you're going to get down in where their faces are, where they're expecting you to to breathe back what they've got going on. And instead, you're going to whisper. You're going to talk quietly and calmly. You're going to give them words. So just what you just said you would say to your daughter, you're going to say, sweetie, when you want to play with your brother, you tell him in words, I want to play with you. Even just give whatever words come. It doesn't, she doesn't have to understand them. She'll understand right. the meaning or the, the right. intent. Yes. And then, and then for, for the older ones, say, you look really angry like right now, like you want, you want her to leave you alone. And so sometimes it's okay to say, you know, I want to play by myself right now. And so you just murmur and you bring the tone down and you just say whatever comes to you. You know, the words aren't as important as your tone of voice and your body language, which is as a mediator, that you're listening to both of them and you're kind of mirroring or reflecting back what each of them are feeling and thinking. You're giving words to, to the underlying feelings that are causing them to scream at each other. And that's the role modeling that you're talking about. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it, all of this makes sense. It's, like you said, it's just hard when you're busy and distracted and trying to do things and you're cooking dinner and, you know, it's late in the day and everybody's tired. It's hard to stop what you're doing and go over and actually – model those behaviors, but that's exactly what it's going to take to make a change. So, you know, I'm becoming a lot more aware of that now, and, uh, you know, it's just going to take some work for a while, but hopefully well, and once it, they it actually see that model for a while, then they'll kind of do it on their own. Well, and it builds on itself, Rachel, because right now the tools that you have have not been effective, so it feels like a burden to go and try to break this stuff up or handle Mm -hmm. it or whatever. When you use tools like this that you see will work and that bring that fighting down or redirect that power struggle, or when when you have tools where you get in and you have a success with it, it feels less burdensome. Because now you could be cooking dinner and hear the kids fighting and get excited. Oh, I get to go intervene with tools that I know will work. So it doesn't feel so overwhelming. It's a very good way to look at it, actually. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really, a lot of this is our own just figuring out how we can 
maintain our own responses in a way that, um, in, in, you know, in a way that keeps us from going crazy. That's kind of my thing. It's like, what, how am I going to do this that makes me be able to have fun doing this? Because this is parenting. It's getting in and intervening in all this stuff. And then, and role modeling and redirecting. I mean, that's, they're never going to not, they're never going to behave perfectly. They're always going to be misbehaving because that's their job. Right. So right. our attitude of having to feel mm-hmm. that is really key in all of the parents. Thank you for listening to today's Positive Parenting Pep Talks podcast. If you're into season two and you're listening to all these great questions that the parents have and answers and ideas for what to do in all these different situations with your kids, please help us out. Like, share, subscribe, and especially leave us a positive review. All of that helps the podcast grow, and I really appreciate it. Thanks again for being here, and happy parenting.